Hello and welcome to Literary Italy. Follow us on Facebook at Literary Italy, on Instagram at Literary Italy Podcast, and on Twitter at Literary Italy. Our website address is www.literaryitaly.com. Our email address is mail at literaryitaly.com. We love hearing from listeners. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe or follow us using your podcast app. That really helps us. And consider giving us a five-star review at uh, Apple Podcasts or Google or wherever you're getting this podcast. And today, Anne and I have something special. We present an interview with Mike Aquilina. Mike has been a friend of mine for years, and he's a renowned writer and authority on patristics, that is, the writings of the Christian Church Fathers. He's also a lyricist with rock and roll icon Dion DeMucci. Uh, uh, Dion DeMucci is better known by his mononym, Dion, of uh, Dion and the Belmonts, and uh, currently doing a, a ton of really great blues music. Mike is also the host of the Way of the Fathers podcast, and we, when we heard his uh, episode on Marcus Minucius Felix and um, the dialogue, the Octavius, which is set in Ostia Antica, just outside of Rome, we thought that ought to be an episode of Literary, Literary Italy. And so without further ado, we present our talk with Mike Aquilina. Mike, welcome to Literary Italy. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm a fan. I've been listening to every episode since the beginning and every minute of every episode. So I'm happy to be here. Honored. Have, have you caught all the backward masking stuff you put in a little subliminal messages? I never you, thought of that. If you've been eating a lot of yogurt, you probably have. <laughs> I think you guys have to give a little bit of your backstory. Oh, uh, so uh, Mike and I uh, go, way back. go way back to high school. Uh, I've known Mike since high school, and Mike was uh, best man at my wedding. My wedding, uh, too. Isn't no, that funny? <laughs> I, I would have thought I bumped into you at that. <laughs> Our wedding. Excuse me. Uh, all right. So, uh, so, Mike, I guess my first question is going to be, why would anybody want to read Minucius Felix's The Octavius? Well, lots of reasons. One is it, it's... Uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful piece of prose, and it's a it's it's a gorgeous memoir set down probably in the late second century or early third century, and it's a story of friendship. It's about three guys who are colleagues, they're lawyers, and they're friends, they're expatriates from North Africa, living in Rome, working in the court system there, and they go together to a resort for a long weekend. Uh, it's it, it's the uh, the autumn holiday, the time of the grape harvest, and so everyone goes, you know, leaves the city and has a good time. And here are three friends, three lawyers, and they go to Ostia and they do what lawyers love to do: they argue <laughs> for the weekend, you know. And their arguments are all there uh, in in the memoir, and it's uh, it's a it's a beautiful piece of writing. Uh, I I love it because because it takes you back to a time. That's really hard to imagine a time before all the technology we have now, a time before all the presuppositions we have now. And it, and it gives you, um, it gives you a glimpse of what a vacation was like during that time. 
down to the details. You know, they describe the little boys who are who are skimming shells on the water. I, I really love that. Yeah, isn't that a beautiful scene? <laughs> yeah, and um, I saw in one of the translations I was listening to, they described the game as ducks and drakes. Ah, okay. Uh, I never, and I don't maybe know. I, I'd British. have to look at it, but uh, and maybe maybe it's called. Yeah, that that may be a, that may be a modern, very modern translation for a British game. Yeah, yeah so, they're skimming. They're basically skimming stones and counting them. And I love that they have to explain that. Whereas you would just, you know, you would just say, "Oh, skimming stones." Right? Everyone knows that. But it, we, we were at the beach like the uh, yesterday, and and Gus and I were. I was doing a terrible job at skimming stones. I used to be much better. I beat Gus. Oh, you beat Gus. I did. <laughs> yeah. There you go, island girl I, over I there. I just like that they couldn't that they get to the beach and they just stand there for a while with their feet yeah. in the sand, and they describes. You know, the waves break every once in a while. There's a big wave and, and you get your feet wet. And it's like, that's the best part of going to the beach. The yes. first, you know, when you first get your feet in. And, and you, you know this as a writer of fiction. It, it's great technique. You're just there, not only in the middle of an argument, you're there in the beach. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're there at yeah. the beach. You're enjoying the sand. You're watching the scenes. You're hearing the sounds. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful piece of writing. It is, and the yeah, you know, the, it's 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 strange that it's not more well known. I find that that's that's true, and I think it's because it wasn't writ written by a cleric. Mm. Um, it was written by a Christian layman uh, who was not known for his ecclesiastical politicking or anything like that. So he's he's away from the uh, kind of the the center of gravity in the church. He's probably known for his writing in the secular realm. And uh, and so he was admired for that. Uh, Jerome seems to seems to indicate, and so did Lactantius, that uh, that this guy could really write and was known was known as a writer. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and it, it it does zip along. I I in fact, I was a little bit. I was expecting. Uh, I'll I'll be honest. I was expecting a little more interplay, uh, just because there's when I I think of a dialogue, you know, there's the statement, and then there's the the conquest. Yeah, but they set it up for that, really, because right. they, you know, Marcus is probably a magistrate, okay? And they ask him to adjudicate a debate, right, um, mm -hmm. uh, between, between Cecil and, uh, and Octavius. And, and so they, go, they have their back and forth, but they're doing it like lawyers, uh, mm -hmm. kind of arguing their case in a courtroom before the judge. One other interesting thing about this is it may be um, the the earliest piece of of um, of Christian literature written in the Latin language. Mm. We it's notoriously hard to date, but it may be as early as 175 A.D. Yeah, and I think it's. I assume there's there's quite a lot of patristics written in Greek before this. Oh yes, I, I think for for listeners uh, to literary Italy, we probably. Tend to think of. We've gone way back with this one, but we yes. we also tend to think of, uh, you know, this we tend to we tend to think of Christianity in the West begins in Latin as opposed to, really in in terms of intel, um, intellectual writing and the the uh, really taking place mostly in, in Greek. Uh, right. Uh, the West really didn't catch up with Latin literature until about the fourth century, huh. and 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 worship was conducted in Greek until the fourth century too. No, the, the um, one of the things that he's uh, that I just happened to maybe this is just because I uh, 
I've become uh, an adoptive Sicilian, a re- weirdly proto uh, pro uh, Sicilian. But I noticed maybe I was just taking too much offense. But I noticed that the both of the examples that they give of tyrants are Sicilians. <laughs> well, the, both of, and the noble Romans are bo- are both mainland. They're like, they're like Romans, right? But it's. Did you notice that, Mike? Well, like, Sicily was famous for its tyrants. <laughs> Sicily kind of put tyrants on the map, so to speak. <laughs> because there's that question: how could how could God how could there be a God if they, to not give the just reward to the tyrants and to to banish the good Romans? Right. That's the, yes. Yes. I just I, knowing that you're of Sicilian heritage, <laughs> I wonder if you were just a little bit put <laughs> off by that. Oregano di nuovo. <laughs> they did it again. <laughs> yes. All right. So it's a fun read. It is. A, it is a good read, uh, and it's. Um, yeah, I think. But focusing on the on the friendship is really striking because the, I think what the 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 bookends are really kind of touching, especially that that beginning saying, "I you know my friend, you know I think about him now that he's gone." Yes. So that's his reason for writing. He wants yeah, to write right. the memoir as a tribute to Octavius, who's now dead. And and what strikes him is that Octavius had such concern for their other friend, Cecil, um, that he he was willing to challenge Cecil and then and then have a debate. Uh, and they really do revel in the de- debate. What I love about the friendship is the frankness in it. Uh, you know, I mean, these are not people who are tiptoeing around each other. They're not walking on eggshells. They have a very frank debate. They're very open about where they stand and, uh, yeah. and where they want the other to stand. Right. Yes. Yeah. Micah, on your podcast, I liked your, your summary, which was two, uh, two Christians go to, go to the beach and Ostia three come back. No, <laughs> two Christians and a pagan go. Three Christians come back. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, Well, I, I just realized I hadn't really given... <laughs> A sum- we usually we also do kind of a summary, but I think uh-huh. that's a good summary. I think that's that's like the most economical summary in terms of the action of the play, right? Uh, of the of the dialogue, but it um, it really is you know um, there's a point by point refutation, and I think one of the things you pointed out is that it starts out. Um, you say Cecil, I was Caecilius, even though that sounds like a Doctor Strange villain. Um, <laughs> Cecil says, uh, gives kind of the strong arguments at the beginning yes. and then gives really the the um, the scurrilous gutter press arguments at the end. Yeah. But uh, Octavius really refutes those point by point by point and takes them in the order that they're given. I, I think of it almost like a scholastic disputation, right? Yes, Where yes. More, more so than a dialogue. And his strong arguments are pretty modern, too. You know, yes. he's arguing for a radical skepticism that reality can't can't be known. And uh, and so he's he's saying that that we can't know anything, never mind about the gods. So we're safest if we walk the path our ancestors have walked and do what they did. So there's an element of of ancestral piety to it. But also, he's just saying this is the safest thing to do because we can't really know too much about what's going on right in front of us. Never mind, way out there. I've heard many Christians give that as the as the prime reason to follow Christianity. Well, this is this is you know particularly uh, I'll say Christians of a particularly shall we say civic bent. Uh huh. Yes. Which is which is I don't know that I really believe, but it's real. It's a state religion. Right? Yes. Yes. A good friend in Norway who would kind of give that when when pressed on it would be like. Well, you know, it keeps everything it keeps everything running in order. 
Right. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, his his argument is is kind of modern, yeah. but you're right. Then he gets to the urban legends and all of the things that people are saying about Christians, which he assumes to be true. Now, here's an intelligent guy who's working in the courts, and uh, and he assumes that all the urban legends are true, that the Christians are, are practicing orgies in their churches, and uh, they're eating children and that yeah. sort of thing. <clears throat> Literally eating babies. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, <laughs> literally. <laughs> oh, don't knock it till you've tried it. <laughs> with, a, with a little teriyaki sauce, you know, <laughs> be amazed. Um, no, it, but thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing this. Uh, I actually, I, ran, I, I listened to your podcast. And so I, as I was listening to this, I thought, oh, this would be really, really good. Especially because uh, Anne and I, have uh, I guess it was in 2017, we were last in Ostia. Yeah, about five years ago. So talk a little bit about your your experience of Ostia, because you also have spoken about it as someone who's been there. And you tell a little bit about that. Well, the dialogue takes place in Ostia. And Ostia is a very important place on the map, okay? Because it was the port city for ancient Rome. Uh, it's at the mouth of the Tiber. And uh, and the ships would kind of pull up to the harbor in Ostia. And then they'd, they'd send barges down the river, uh, to Tiber River, to Rome. So the barges would take the goods from the ships um, into the city of Rome. Uh, there, there's not much of a natural harbor there. There never was. Uh, so they had, uh, during the reign of Claudius, I think, the first century, middle of the first century, they had the harbor dredged out by slaves. Okay, there's no mechanical way to do this. So they had slaves pulling these giant dredges. To It's an engineering marvel, really, that they did this in the ancient world with no motors running, right? that they dredged out the harbor. In order to keep it as a functioning harbor, they had to do this with a lot of slaves twice a year. Wow. Twice a year. And they did that for, for a few centuries. Um, uh, it was the functioning harbor of Rome uh, until, um, until the early 5th century, probably, when slave labor was not to be found because Rome was was falling apart at that point. And the and Rome was no longer the administrative capital of the empire. It moved first up to Milan and then over to Ravenna. And um and so so they just didn't need as many goods. They didn't need as many slaves in Rome. So so what do you do? Well the harbor starts to silt over. Yeah. And and over the course of centuries it really silted over, so much so that now Ostia Antica the archaeological digs are inland, two miles away from the beach. So, yeah, I mean, you guys got a chance to see it. Yeah. I think Ostiantica, which is now uh, an a national park, an archaeological park, is one of the greatest things you can see. Because if you go to Rome and you see the Roman Forum and you see the Colosseum, you're seeing these strange, enormous uh, museum exhibits in the middle yeah. of a busy metropolitan intersection. But if you go to Ostia Antica, you actually walk the streets. You take a di diversion into the tavern. You go to the fish market. You go down another street and you're into um, a residential neighborhood and you can find you know, a house that you can walk into and actually go up to the second story if you're if you're brave enough. And the, and another great thing about Ostia Antica is nobody ever goes there. So it's <laughs> it's it's your party. You can do what you want. Yeah. 
you just you just like uh, you just hit a bingo. The, you just got bingo on Anne's bingo card when you said, and nobody goes there. <laughs> it was totally like bingo. But it is this oh. hit, hidden marvel, the secret. Right, unlike Pompeii, which is which is always crowded and, and also line. is huge. You know, the other difference is that Pompeii and Herculaneum, they are preserved because they were destroyed. Yeah. Ostia is abandoned, you know, so it's kind of left there. You know, as you were saying, it's it's not, I mean, Pompeii has its own fascination because it's, it's sort of, you know, caught in the moment. But I think this is interesting Um it also reminds me a little bit of Pestum. There is the, the town just south of Naples, which had, this is Greek ruins, but the Greek temples, which also, they weren't destroyed. They were just mm. left, left right. to go. They just became, you know, fields for sheep. And, you know, the farmers would say, oh yeah, those temples over there, you well, know. Well, it wasn't even that easy because we were like, wait, where are the, it's by the petrol station over there. <laughs> you would, yeah. there's a little sign. And oh, we're you're, like, you're we're, talking about the ones in. No, I thought, well, well. Not Pestum, oh, Pestum, right. yeah. Right, Pestum, you're right. No, you're right. <laughs> well, that's true. There are ruins all over Italy, so. <laughs> right. no, yes. that was, but I, that I think Ostia happening. is well, yeah. also well managed. And at least that I remember, you know, well labeled. You know, you had a good sense of what you were looking yes. at. Yes, yes. Well, especially when you get to the, the, the group, the porta-potties. I mean, not the porta-potties. <laughs> they were yeah. not portable. The latrines. The yeah. latrines. Yeah. I mean, you know exactly what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's a, the tavern is really interesting. because you can yeah. you, you can go behind the bar and it's a right. bar, just like you'd walk into at a neighborhood tavern today. You can go behind the bar and, and it's so intact that the, the, the cylinders for the coins are still there. Yeah. So you can see that they had the coins of different sizes for making change, you know, and, and they're right there. And it's, it's such a fresh excavation that you still find shards of pottery um, on, on the way on the roads. And, um, and as I said, everything's there. The baths are fairly intact. You can walk through them. The Mm. the Basilica fairly intact. The, uh, the theater, the amphitheater, is fairly intact. You can go up the steps and and go down through the seats and go. My, I, I remember vividly one of my daughters doing her ballet routine on the stage of the uh, of the theater in Ostia Antica. Nice. So as I said, it, it's your party. You have the whole place to yourself. <laughs> Only once have I been there when there was a school group there, and and, yeah. and they were well well mannered. So yeah. so it wasn't bad. When are you going back? <laughs> I'll be there this summer. I'll be taking a group over this summer. So, um, so I'll be, I'll be back in Ostia. Um, uh, it's a, it's a group of young adults from the United States. So we'll be reading Minutius Felix in the morning. And we'll be also reading uh, Augustine's confessions, which hmm. has a beautiful passage um, uh, set at Ostia. And we'll be reading those uh, studying them in the morning in seminar and then going out to the sites and reading them on site in Ostia Antica, reading them aloud. That's great. Cool. Well, and I, I had to look on Google maps to see just how far it was because when we, we stayed, um, well, back up a bit. When we, the last time we were there, we stayed overnight, I think in Fiumicino or in Ostia Nuova. I don't Mm. remember which one because we had an early morning flight out. And so we knew we were actually staying up in Liguria and we knew we couldn't make that drive in the morning. So we decided to spend the whole day in, in Ostia and also go to the beach and kind of check out the seafood and all that. So I had to look, I mean, so we approached by car, but it's easy to get to by train Yes, from Rome. 
Um, and it's, so I looked at Google maps and it's 18 miles from the Roman forum to Ostiantica. So yeah. what I was also imagining these guys doing, I mean, it's a healthy day's journey walk. Yes. You do it in six hours. Yeah. 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 And it's like, it's funny. Cause when, um, Jim and I kind of compared notes of the Via Francigena. I think we both averaged 18 miles a day. And it just seems like that's like the limit where you're like, okay, we're good. Time to put the feet in the water. I really, I really felt for them when they, they got to the beach. Yeah. And, and, and I imagine, early, oh, I was about to say this is early, early autumn, right? So it's kind yes. of, yeah. things are starting to cool off. It's not a, it's not a, it's probably a nice time for that walk. Yes. And I imagine that a lot of Romans would have been making that walk. It was, it was, it, it was part of the festive atmosphere. Yeah. You know, everybody's exiting the city and going out to the resort, yeah. at least the people who could afford to do it. Yeah. And the water is still warm <laughs> at this time of the year. Nice. So I have to ask, how's Dion DiMucci doing? <laughs> Dion's doing great. The guy's got more energy at 83 than I've ever had in my life. He's in great shape. Um, we, uh, we, uh, we're working on the next album, uh, for, for next year. Uh, it'll be a little bit different. Uh, okay. and he's, uh, he's, he's heading to New York now because, um, there's a, a play opening off Broadway about his life. Okay. And so, uh, so it'll be opening in March and, uh, I'm hoping to get out there to see it in April. Nice, nice. Did the duets album is that out? Uh, the, yes, the 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 uh, or no, no, no. The 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 duets will be out probably next year. Okay. Yeah, right. but he he did blues with friends, which was essentially collaborations, and then after that he did stomping ground, which was another album of collaborations. Okay. Nice. With Eric Clapton, Bruce Springsteen, Peter Frampton, Van Morrison, Jeff Beck, lots of big names cool. from our childhood. And if people want to hear more from you, you've got the Way of the Fathers podcast. Yes. And that you're, you're still doing. What are you up to in Way of the Fathers? Well, we finished off um, all of the major fathers. Uh, so um, we finished off with John of Damascus. So now we're exploring some themes in the okay. works of the early, early church fathers. Uh, and uh, I'll just be going through a different theme every couple of weeks. And after that, I plan to, um, I plan to do the, the first seven ecumenical councils. Okay. So you'll be doing themes that are sort of uh, cross-cutting across mo uh, more, more than one father, as opposed to finding the obscure uh, Father Myron. That <laughs> Myron Schlocker Meyer. There are lots of those. About. Yes. Yes. <laughs> knows anything about. Right. He wrote in exclusively in Yiddish. Which is yeah. Strange. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, Mike, thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, join us on Literary Italy and... Uh, um, let's 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 get together for a grappa. That sounds great. Thanks again for having me. <laughs>